maybe this is your first time to experience Advent, and maybe it's your hundredth time. I'm guessing probably not your hundredth, but you get the point. As, um, as we move into this season, it's just God's way of saying, I want you to remember in a fresh way what I did, and I also want you to remember in a fresh way where I'm going with everything that I've done in the story. And so as we move into that space together, um, I don't know if you're like me. Uh, I've done a lot of Advents. Matter of fact, there's kind of a sense about Advent that um, I feel like, yeah, I've sort of been there and done that. And some of you, I know whenever the Christmas music started playing in the hardware store or the grocery store or the um, go buy your, uh, your clothing store, you cringed. Be honest. Any of you cringe? Anybody say, <laughs> Brittany, I knew I could count on you, Brittany. <laughs> okay. Because you know sometimes it just means that it is on and it's sort of hang on for the ride. And I, I'd like to think that this year is going to be a little bit different. Matter of fact, I, I truly believe that it will be because of the way we're, we're beginning. We're going back to the beginning and we're resetting it once again by preparing the way of the experience that we have on December 25th when we re-dramatize the birth of Jesus once again. How do we, how do we reset that? How do we go back and Get us in that headspace where we need to be. Well, I thought about it because here we are. We're trying to bring a child into the world. And we're thinking about all the processes that are involved in making that happen. And we realize that perhaps there is a way of comparing it to our own experiences. And maybe if you're like me, you've had an experience in this department. And it began something like this. Guess what? We're expecting... And that wasn't me saying that. That was somebody saying that to me. And my thought was, I'm not ready. I am not ready for that. I knew it was coming. I know how it happens. I know that the possibility of it happening loomed large. And now it is on. But I felt like in the, the reality of everything that it meant, I honestly was not ready. And my thoughts just started racing. Another human being is going to be coming into the world and it's not going to be very long from now. And I don't know if I can do it. I don't know if I can be a dad. I don't know if I can be a provider in that way. I don't know what this is going to mean. I don't know how this is going to change my life. And maybe if you're a guy, you've been there. And the good news is there are people who are other guys and other gals who have gone before the newbies and they've sort of paved the way. We were actually given some advice on what you do whenever you know that you're not prepared, that these are things that you can do to get yourself in that space where you're ready, or at least mostly ready. And perhaps your experience whenever you became aware of that moment went something like this. Now, if I remember correctly, there was a list given to us, and I'm cataloging it over time, and it seems like people said at one point, if you want to have kids, you should start off by getting a dog. Because a dog is a starter kit for kids. Am I right? Okay, you have cats, they do one thing. Dogs are different, aren't they? Dogs are emotional. Dogs are no offense to anybody, drama queens. Dogs require a lot of attention. Dogs actually take a significant chunk of your life away from you. 
Dogs, well, they make messes. Dogs have to be cleaned up afterward. Dogs, well, funny thing about dogs, everything I just said, and I'll pile on a little bit more even. We, honey, let's go to that place for a few days. Oh yeah, the dog. Okay, so all of those things are bundled into the starter kit. And they're a way of helping you to prepare because they condition you to know what it's like. Now, I'm not going to say that whenever I was a child and my parents looked at me, they're like, he's not bad looking for a dog. No. They may have had a dog, may not have. I don't know. I didn't ask. But I know, I know this. The comparisons run pretty deep. The cool thing about a dog is why we have them in the first place, and that is they provide so much meaning and richness, and we attach to them, and they become really part of our family. And so many other things that go to describe the way of life with a dog just, I think, fit hand in glove in the process. And so the first thing people tell you to do if you're thinking about having kids, get a dog. The second thing is, when you know that it is on, well, you need to take your vitamins. Now, I, I don't necessarily have to take them, but she does, because she's going to be building something inside her body, which is just mind-boggling. When that's going on, she's going to be thinking, what do I do when that day comes? And a lot of people recommended a book at the time called What to Expect When You're Expecting. Anybody remember that? I don't know what the Bible is for that, but that's something that was that thick. And I'm like, honey, that's thicker than the Bible. That's a lot of information. I didn't make any comments like, but you're going to be sitting around a lot so you'll have time to read. I didn't go there. I didn't even think about going there. I just know people have gone there and that could be a trap that you'll fall into, which reminds me. Number four, husband, there are many traps that you will fall into along the way. It's okay. Pick yourself up, dust yourself off, and do what you need to get done to get it done. After you read uh, what to expect when you're expecting, then you go through the process of, first of all, hoping somebody gives you a, wedding, or a, bridal, or a baby shower. And the baby shower's basic purpose is to create the conditions where people are generous towards you because they feel sorry for you because they know you're getting ready to lose a lot of sleep for a long time. And they give you cribs and they give you changing tables and they give you this round thing. It's about this high, it's white, and it's kind of cylindrical. And when my wife pulled that out, I'm like, what the heck is that? And she says, well, somebody said, this will be the most important one of all. Well, turns out Diaper Genie was your best friend. And it kept the place smelling like it needed to smell because it did its job. You're not prepared for any of this stuff. Well, there are a few more accoutrements, but the bottom line is whenever you're told you are expecting and you're looking at your space, you realize if the baby were to come tomorrow, we wouldn't be ready. There is no space here for us to be able to say to the baby, this is a good place for you to land. So you got a lot of work to do. Not only that, there's classes that you have to take. And I don't know if, if you guys took classes, but they were called at the time the Moz classes. I don't know if that's still the same because I know all this stuff kind of changes. But what it did was it helped the husband and the wife to be a team whenever it comes to the actual delivery process. 
That's what we were told as we were walking in. But what completely caught me off guard whenever I was walking in was a girl named Fran who was the first girl that I kissed in seventh grade. And she looked at me and I looked at her and she said, hi Leonard. And I said, hi Fran. And my wife looks at me and I look at Fran, I look at my wife and I'm like, long story. (laughs) There was no way I was going to bring up, yeah, that. So here I am in a very uncomfortable place doing something that's completely beyond my comfort zone and knowing that this is just going to be an epic fail out of the gate. Well, you kind of rise to what you are, what's expected of you. And sure enough, fast forward through the Lamaze classes to that time where we're getting ready to go. Oh yeah, the, the next one on the list is when you know that it's getting ready to be time. Gas the car up. And keep the car gassed up because we're almost 15, 20 miles away. And you don't want to run out of gas when she says, honey, it's time. But the way that she brings that to bear upon the situation isn't what you would expect. And it was something to the effect of somebody, well, somebody who ate prime rib, and then the prime rib obviously wasn't agreeing with you. Obviously you have food poisoning. Obviously I'm concerned about getting it myself as I'm waking up in the middle of the night wondering why she's throwing up. And I said, is there anything that I can do to help you? She said, yeah, I think we are ready. And then, you remember when I said, when I first heard that I was expecting with my wife? The delayed aftershock was then, it's time. And somewhere in the next 24 hours, there's going to be another person in the mix. That sat in, and my brain was just spinning. So here's what I do. I know that I didn't do well in the Lamaze class, so I'm thinking it's time to crash this course. I pull out the Lamaze book and I start going through it. And she looks at me and then looks at the book and she just tears out of my hand and says, it's a little late for that. So I'm like, whatever you say, dear. And I'm thinking, car. We need to get in the car and we need to go. And it's a good thing we had lots of gas because I drove in excess of the speed limit by two. And as we arrived at our destination, I'm just praying that I'm not going to be that guy that you hear about that delivers a baby in the car. Well, God being gracious said, no, it's not going to end that way, but it's still going to be bumpy. As the child is wanting to come out and as the mother is saying I want you to come out she's getting upset and I'm thinking I'm not very good at this Lamaze thing maybe I could go into the bathroom and just kind of read the book a little bit but then I'm looking at her mom who's looking at her daughter in distress and then she's looking at me you're the reason why she's in so much pain. And what am I going to say? No, it was somebody else. I mean, that's going to fly. So I couldn't blame shift on that one. I had to own it. And I just realized something, that all of this pain that I'm having to go through 
Well, I can't say to my wife, you would not believe the pain that I went through to have this kid. Never. That's a trap you fall into. You never tell anybody except people in church 25 years later, hoping that the edge is off a little bit. Well, that is what it takes, I think, to prepare the way. The bottom line is, you're never prepared. You're just never fully and totally prepared. But I think that's why we use that as an analogy because it's God's way of saying my son is going to come into this world in the form of a child and I can assure you no one will be prepared. This will be something that will be so mind-blowing and so profound and so deep and yet so uncharacteristic of anything you would imagine there's no way that you can be ready. And that's why I think we just have to ready our hearts for whatever. And I can tell you after having two other kids, it went better. Because I kind of knew what to expect. When we're expecting not only a child, but even a savior. Who as we go into December 25th, my hope is that we can just take all of these experiences that we're having in the word... And that are going on inside of our lives. That God is doing personally to prepare us for what is the true meaning of Christmas. I got to think that God is going to use this season for all of us. To get us as ready as we can be. So I'm going to just stop right now. And I'm going to ask you to bow with me. And I'm going to ask God to help us along the way. Father as we just move into an Advent experience together. And you look at each of our hearts. We know that you love us where we are at. But you have so much more in store for us that we are not ready for. That we ask that as we move through Advent season, it is just one season amongst many where we get ourselves ready to be with you forever. So Lord, I just pray that you help us to surrender our lives to you in a way that recognizes how you're working and in a way that prepares us on Christmas Eve to re-dramatize the coming of your son and to be able to understand the significance of what that means for our lives and the lives of the people in, in, on this planet. And as we just think about all the ways that a small child disrupts so much we are grateful for the way you've disrupted our world up until now by being that presence, that faithful presence that we can always call to whenever we are in need. And I ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. I forgot to tell you guys that the first thing, uh, or the last thing on the list, that should have been the first thing, but it's the thing that became the last resort whenever I was alongside my wife expecting a child and realizing that I was in way over my head was to pray. And I discovered that my spiritual life actually took on a different meaning in the process of bringing a child into the world. And I realized that we had, you know, our kind of ups and downs. And it was challenging to say the least. And yet it caused us to re realize this thing has to have the engagement of God in the process, which is what prayer is. It's a way of saying, God, will you help us? Will you help us to be ready? Will you help us to do what we need to do when we're called to do it? And as we're basically looking backwards 
and we're realizing that the more things change, the more they stay the same. God, I think, is preparing the way for his son to come into the world. And believe it or not, a lot of people had been praying for a long time. Matter of fact, the scripture that we're going to read describes a setting where a prophet, Malachi, is calling out to the people that are, are, are the ones who are willing to hear the word of God under conditions where most people are against the things of, of the Lord. And they're a small minority. And they're frustrated. And as, you, as we read the text, you'll know why they're frustrated. And here we go. In Malachi 2, verse 17 and following, it says... You have wearied the Lord, Malachi says, with your words. But you say, how have we wearied him? By saying, everyone who does evil is good and in the sight of the Lord. And he who delights in them. Accusing basically and complaining about God is looking at all the evildoers, all of the abuse, all of the exploitation, all of the corruption, all of the... All of, the, um, uh, all of the, the criminality that's happening around them. And they're basically saying, God, you're not doing anything about this. When are you going to stop allowing these people to carry on the way they do? It gives us the impression that you're on their side. And you ever feel that way? Where you look at the world and you see evil seems to prevail or corrupt people seem to get over on other people? Innocent people like the elderly and others get exploited. And you just look at the long laundry list of things that happen around you. And things that have happened to you. Oftentimes your, your thought process is, this is not fair. This is not just. This is, God, where are you? And that's what Malachi said. Or by asking, where is the God of justice? When are you going to sort this out as it needs to be sorted out? And Malachi says these words from the Lord. Behold, I send my messenger and he will prepare the way before me. And the Lord whom you seek will suddenly come to his temple. And the messenger of the covenant in whom you delight. Behold, he is coming, says the Lord of hosts. But who can endure the day of his coming? And who can stand when he appears? For he is like a refiner's fire and like fuller's soap. He will sit as a refiner and purifier of silver and he will purify the sons of Levi and refine them like gold and silver and they will bring offerings in the righteousness in righteousness to the Lord. Then the offering of Judah and Jerusalem will be pleasing to the Lord as in the days of old and in the former years. Then I will draw near to you for judgment. I will be a swift witness against the sorcerers, against the adulterers, against those who swear falsely, against those who oppress hired workers and uh, the widow and the fatherless and against all of the evil that you see going on. I will begin to go to work in those circumstances says the Lord of hosts. Now, I just said a lot and I could have lost you because I went way back in the way back machine to the Old Testament to those experiences. But my guess is you can relate if I just sort of uh, unpack this a little bit for you to what's going on. Okay, let's just kind of check the boxes here. Any of us in the room ever feel like bad things happen to good people? Anybody feel like Bad people seem to get away with murder. Anybody ever feel that? Okay. Anybody ever hear stories of elderly people getting exploited financially? You ever experience that yourself? Anybody ever have somebody who, um, uh, uh, who, 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 who told lie after lie after lie and no one called them out on it? Well, 
just looking at the list of things, um, sorcerers, adulterers, swearing falsely, it's just another way of saying, God, we know these things are bad. They're not healthy, they're destructive, and they have an impact beyond, way beyond the people that commit these, 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 these crimes against God's law. And God's concern isn't so much that every wrong is righted right out of the gate. His concern really is how you and I are going to respond to this stuff based on a couple of things. One is, God is pretty patient with the process. One thing that came out here was that God was, he was kind of letting it go. And in time, whenever the time was right, he was going to call it up. But I think his goal was to help people come to their senses and realize, yeah, I need to get right with the Lord. This Christmas, sometimes around Easter, people will feel so overwhelmed with the, with, with the spirit of the season, especially on Christmas Eve, that it's like God just breaks in in a deeper way and they, and they feel something profound. And I've even heard people say, yeah, I need to start going to church. I need to start getting my life right. And I think that's what God is hoping will happen as he's preparing the way for something pretty epic. And maybe he's been patient with you and I in those ways as well. Maybe you're one of those people like myself who said, had God came after me, I would be that person on the list and I know it wouldn't end well and probably lightning bolts should come down through the ceiling right now because I'm here. But what Malachi is saying is God's just waiting. He's waiting for people to come around. But he also knows that that time is going to have a definite ending. And what do we do in the meantime? Well, we pray. We talk to God. We connect with God. We begin to draw close to God. And the reason I say that is because of some barriers that are put up in this, in this text. It's so, it's so loaded. He talks about judging the sons of Levi, who are the family of the priests. You see, it would be like you going to church, and the pastor's up here, and he's basically saying this. You guys are all losers, and God probably doesn't want to hear your problems. Meanwhile, I'm just kind of living on the fatted calf up here. Gravy training off of the situation. But if you took a magnifying glass to my life, you would find that my behavior is probably on par with the lowest common denominator of society. The bottom line is, people were coming to the temple, and the religious leaders were not doing anything that represented the purposes or the characteristics of God. They were just behaving like everybody else. And this was frustrating for the Lord because of all things, his expectation, not only for pastors and people that lead in this way, but for all of us, is that we embody the characteristics of the God that we worship. And I think the best way to do that is to stay in constant communication with him. But the priests were shutting even that out. People were coming to the temple and they were, they were sort of bottlenecking the process. But here's what God saw. He saw something. People were turning on CNN and they kept hearing, oh, the economy's going to crash. They kept hearing that there are warring armies that got their sights on, on our country. They kept hearing that... People who are banking are really getting over on other people. They kept hearing that sorcerers and people involved in pagan worship are prospering. They kept hearing all these things when they turned on the news and they were starting to lose heart. 
And there were other people who were saying, we've been in this space where all these things have been going on for so long. We'd like to believe that there's a place where we can go to find some hope. And for Malachi, what he saw going on was there was a bunch of people like yourself and myself who were pretty sick of what was going on around them. And they were wanting to get back to the ways of God. But the problem was the priests were bottlenecking that process and it was really getting God frustrated. A revival actually was getting ready to break out. And the priests were just kind of sitting on their hands while there was work that needed to be done. And commentators will say that they had to bring up members of the tribe of Levi who were not appointed to be priests to do priestly work. Because the priests weren't doing their job. All that to say to you today is as we prepare the way we may have to look at what is going on inside of us and ask the question, God, if there is anything inside of me that you need to work on, I give you permission. Because the last thing I want to do is go against your purposes or not be prepared for the way that you're folding out in front of us. Now, if you have kids, you know that whether you like it or not, usually the kid comes and it changes everything. You have no control at this point. The child is, is in a lot of ways like the dog. You have to realign your schedules, your priorities, your finances, your home. Everything changes. And the change begins inside of us. Now there are parents who do it well and then there are some parents um, who make a lot of mistakes and they pray and they ask God for help and then there are some parents who really don't even take the whole enterprise seriously. And God was looking at his people and they're saying, you're kind of like those bad parents. You're not taking care of my people who are starving for shepherds that will attend to us. And so he was just calling up whoever he could to help respond to what was going on because something was getting ready to happen and it was just an indicator of even greater things that were yet to come. Well, did I mention prayer? Prayer is a good place to start for anything because anyone can do it anytime, anywhere and God always listens. I can tell you that. The, the very fact that my children aren't dead means that God answers prayer. Because, you know, we've dropped them, we've flopped them, we've banged them around, we've let them get in cars. I mean, just, we'd probably have our kids take, be taken away if, if you knew how, knew how rambunctious they got and how we were beside ourselves. And yet the whole time, God is saying, I'm helping you. Well, there's something else that I want to remind you of, and that is that book, What to Expect When You're Expecting, that big, thick tome, that thing that my wife paid attention to and at different places said, oh, we need to get vaccinations, oh, we need to, we need to lay the baby a certain way, or we need to do this, or we need to do that. And it was kind of like the instruction manual. You see, in the case of the Israelites here, they were sort of looking at that book Kind of like I did the Lamaze book and said, I can't make sense of this. I'll cram for this later. I'm just trying to get my wife to stop asking questions about who Fran is. I mean, there's nothing going on with me and Fran. Well, 
That is how distracted we get in our priorities. And God looks at this and he just shakes his head and says, one of these days, you're going to tune in and you're going to be online. Well, as God is seeking to tune us all in, it really is his word that makes that happen. We pray, which is awesome and excellent and necessary. But the only way we can get clear categories for how we filter the things around us, how we see what this is all about, or who I'm supposed to be as a dad, or how it is that we're supposed to be a family, or what characteristics are supposed to define us as a family. I have to be honest with you, and I'm saying this not only as a pastor, but just as a believer. The Bible has been the place that I've gone to find out how to relate to the people that are closest to me. And not only has the Bible given me the categories to see, oh yeah, I used to be angry, I used to be jealous, I used to be short-fused, I used to be frustrated, I used to be all of these dark things. And then I prayed. And then I started reading the Bible. And I started to realize that God just wants to turn loose inside of me some things if I'd only let him in. And that's part of preparing the way. And all of a sudden, well... I don't know where that patience came from, but when I got nudged in the middle of the night saying it's your turn, I could have very very easily just said, it's not my job, but I knew better because I like to care for my being. Um, I learned, I'll just get up, I'll do what needs to be done because there are larger purposes at work than just what I want. And there's something about preparing the way and then when the child comes, that changes you. And you can read about all those things and what to expect when you're expecting. Or you can crack open your Bible and start to read what it says when you're expecting Jesus in your life, in your family, in your church, in everything you do. And then all of a sudden you're finding that you're, you're preparing the way. Now we've, we've put together a devotional booklet that is that, that begins today and then it just goes through the end of, um, uh, of the Advent season to Christmas Eve. And it's just my way of kind of priming the pump, or our way rather, we collaborated on it, our way of priming the pump so that we can get you into that space where you're thinking about the Word. And that kind of helps you to prepare the way. There was a, 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 some words that, that were spoken from the psalm that was read up here. And, uh, by the way, didn't Emerson do a wonderful job? Uh, first time probably reading anything in a setting like this, right? Probably never forget it. Uh, and in, in the process of preparing the way, obviously you do things like that and hopefully they stick. But the psalmist says, make the valleys high and the, and the mountains low. And it's, it's essentially creating the roadway or the path for the Savior to come into our lives. And John the Baptist actually referred to this, and when he did, he was calling us to repent. And when we say repent, it doesn't mean you got to quit vaping or chewing tobacco or doing stuff that you shouldn't be doing with slot machines or scratch-offs. That's not what he's talking about. He's saying, you need to turn away from the things that have been distracting you from the things of God. Repentance is realigning your true center. The thing that defines you. 
Obviously, it's an, it's an evaluation of how those things that define you before are getting in the way of the things that define you now. But the belief is that if you're turning away from those things, you have to replace them with something else. And that is the things of God. Now, in preparing the way in your heart and mine, my third point to this message is simply this. When you know who you are, and you know whose you are, then you also know when company comes, you know what to expect because they're part of that family. And where I'm going with this is the way God has structured his experience with you and I, he has used family words. He calls himself Father. He calls Jesus his only begotten son, only one of, his, of that kind. And it's God's way of saying, I want to relate to you in family terminology because you're going to find that the way you relate to each other is family and the way you relate to brothers and sisters in the church are actually very parallel because it's just two different families at work. One you're adopted into and the other one is usually biological uh, if, if adoption isn't part of it. But at the end of the day, it's a way of saying, I belong to these people. That's my identity. These people, whether it's your family by name or your family after the name of Jesus, that is the thing that you got to keep tethered to. Now, when you prepare the way, it's a long process. Now, my, my kids are sort of on getting on the other side of us having those formative experiences. But I do know this, what we do in those years before they go off to college and then on to their vocation, what we do is just basically try to help them to be ready, to be prepared. It's day in and day out. It's a process of being faithful to the process of their development. And God is involved in the process of your development into his family. Day in and day out. He's orchestrating things in the background. There are times I know when you and I say, God, what is taking you so long? And maybe the time is... A, moment, a season of pain, a season where we don't have resolution, a time where we're having to plow through something and it just seems to take forever. There are times when we see our elderly people dealing with difficulties. We, there are times when we see our kids going through seasons and we ask the question of God, God, why is it taking you so long? And there's no harm in saying that because there are many psalms, including this word from Malachi, where people are complaining about God. But here's the problem. They aren't praying and they're not really attending to the word. They're just frustrated. And so maybe Malachi is saying you're taking all your complaints about God and you're bending each other's ears about how God is not doing what you want him to do. How you're going through this painful moment and God's not showing up. And how maybe you're not real happy with God right now. And you know what Malachi said? That's all well and good. But you're not talking to him. And so stop bumping your gums and pray. Get in tune with the word and find out that he has a plan. He's orchestrating something. And then know that because you are his 
people, part of his family. He's using you for the process. Whenever kids grow up, they go through a process of what's called differentiation, where they push away. Because they're saying, I want my identity not to be, uh, I, am the, I am the son or daughter of Leonard and Mandy Moore. Or I go to the church that my mom and dad go to. They're saying, I want to be my own person. And that's perfectly normal because God's saying, I made you to grow into that space where you are making your own moral choices, where you have, have, the, have, the, uh, have, have the, the will and the, and the wherewithal to say, I'm a moral agent and I can choose what I want to do. And if all things being equal, we tell our kids, you have to do what I say you have to do until I give you further notice. What do you think they're going to do? What would you do? I know what I would do and I know what I've done. <laughs> when kids push away sometimes, they're trying to figure it out. And we're wrestling with somebody we know close that grew up in a Christian environment. But then this person pushed away and said, I'm going to be my own person going off to school. And I'm going to dabble in tarot cards. And I'm going to dabble in astrology. And it didn't go so well for them because they were looking at sort of like a form of spirituality that other people are doing that seems to be appealing. But the same time they were doing that, they also said it was, they had pretty dark thoughts, even felt suicidal. And my word to this person was, there may be a reason why that those things work against you rather than for you. And it's because you're not from that family. You're from the family of the Lord. That is your identity. And I'd love for all of our kids to leave this space called First Christian Church and leave their homes tethered to the identity that they have in the Lord. The recognition that they are part of the family of God forever. And so as God is preparing these guys to prepare the way, the thing they don't understand is it's a long process. You may want it yesterday, but it's going to take a while. How long did it take? 400 years. And we know that a, a day to the Lord is like a thousand years and a thousand years is like a day. And we also know that God is working everything together for good, Romans 8.28 tells us. But we also know that everything has its own time for God to complete certain stages of the process. And he's bringing us along the way and he's giving us what we need along the way. And we also know that we are kept by him. But things are not yet where they need to be. Let me just end by saying this. Any of you ever pray for patience? Anybody even want to go there? <laughs> you know what I mean, right? So, if you do, you'll get opportunity to do that, to learn it the hard way. Patience is one of those things that it's a four-letter word for a lot of Christians because it just means it's going to take a while. We're too impatient. But what I like about the word patience is actually what it entails. It means waiting for a process to mature. To come to completion. 
And sometimes the process for one thing is longer than another. And God, who is the father and orchestrator of it all, is not only working in your life, but he's working in that person's life and that person's life and that person's life. And sometimes they're all working in a way that he's using them to build you up. And sometimes he's using you to build them up in the process. And it's just how he orchestrates things behind the scenes. And all that God wants us to do is be faithful to him and to his purpose. And to know that he has our backs. And to know that there's going to come a time when evil is judged. And to know that we have a savior who keeps us from feeling the wrath of that. And to know that he has something in store for us that's a hope beyond this. 400 years later, Jesus comes into the world as a baby. And the parents are about as prepared as they're going to get. But it's still not enough. And what I like about that imagery is with you and I, we're never fully prepared. We're never going to get all of our ducks in a row. We're never going to have everything in order that we can finally get serious about the Lord. You just kind of jump in and start swimming. And he'll make sure that you don't drown. He'll also make sure that by the end you're a good swimmer. And he does so much to carry us along the way. That as we prepare for Advent, I just want to ask you this. Are you willing to be part of a family like no other? Because the son that came into the world is also the means by which you and I are adopted into that experience. And that becomes our new and our true identity. In him. It keeps us tethered. It keeps us from going crazy. It keeps us hopeful. It causes us to just turn off the news and say, don't really care about that anymore. Don't worry about it anymore. God's in control. Would you bow with me? Father, as we just end our time in your word and we prepare our hearts and our minds for you, we start by praying and just asking, Lord, in a spirit of surrender, That you would move through our hearts, our minds. To give us a, a fresh vision for what it means for your son to be born into our world. And Father, I just pray that you begin to work in every life and every family. That the experience of who we have together in Christ begins to influence everything that we have together with one another. Father, just help us in our burdens to know that you bear them alongside us and help us in our faithfulness to prepare the way for you to be seen and heard. Just bless this Advent season as we go through it together in a hopeful posture, trusting that everything that has come to fulfillment to this point is a reminder of everything that you have yet to unfold in the road ahead. And we thank you, Lord, in Jesus' name. Amen.